Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. You know, it's the love uh, for me still here in Minnesota. And you know, all I've been seeing is nothing but positive. So, you know, to all the Viking fans and, you know, just coming to that metro, don't pull your 84 jerseys out, man. I think this is going to be a, a fun ride. Um, uh, it, it felt good to be out there today. Um, you know, I've, I've watched these guys from afar. Uh, Williams brothers, Brett, I mean, you name it. I've Hutchinson, McKinney. Uh, I've, wa- I've watched this team. I've paid attention uh, to the team and the success they've had over the years. And, uh, you know, by bringing me back here, I just want to, you know, see if we can get this thing done. So I know we take it one game at a time. And, you know, they came up one game short last year. So, you know, hopefully no one's in this organization looking at the bigger picture because, you know, this Monday night we have the New York Jets. So we take it one game at a time and see what happens at the end of the season. Hey, folks, welcome back to the podcast that that we've been waiting to tell for about 10 years now. Tales from 2010, Viking season like no other. Joining me is uh, Judd Zolgad, who was with me in the trenches on the beat that season. Our producer, Declan Goff. Uh, the first episode, of course, we went through all of the drama surrounding Brett Favre, the will he or won't he, once they got kidnapped him in Hattiesburg and brought him back, how quickly things uh, went into a downward spiral, not only on the field with his various injuries and inability to kickstart the Vikings offense, but of course off the field with his scandal and sort of the sad demise uh, that led to him basically being crushed into the frozen TCF Bank Stadium turf to end a 20-year storied career with a concussion. But now we move on to the other great personnel debate, debacle, uh, uh, demarcation in franchise history, if it were, the reacquisition of all-time, all-time great disruptor and pass catcher and game-breaker Randy Moss and the quick demise, uh, that acquisition, uh, how quickly that fell apart, and also the ramifications for signing him, what led to the signing, and also what led to his departure and how his departure planted the seeds for Brad Childress's firing and how that may ultimately hang, should it hang over Randy Moss's legacy, both in Minnesota and as an NFL receiver. So we're calling this episode, Pull Your Jersey, 84 Jerseys Out, and then put them right back in. Judd? <laughs> That's very, very fair. Yep. Uh, as much excitement as I've seen 
about probably the return of a player uh, slash non-game, actually, in this town, Murph. Uh, and as soon as that excitement started, the balloon basically got popped. It was just very, very fitting for 2010 that the Randy Moss uh, situation that we're about to go through unfolded like it did, I'd say. So to set it up, if folks do remember, uh, the Vikings started out 0-2 that season despite getting far back. They lost on the road to eventual uh, to a Super Bowl champ New Orleans, sort of, you know, Buckner walking back into Shea almost a little bit mm-hmm. for those Founders fans. It was the Vikings going back into the Superdome so quickly after that NFC Championship game loss. Uh, didn't get it together offensively. Looked even worse in their home opener week two against the Miami Dolphins. Suddenly they're 0-2. And Sidney Rice, who was injured in that NFC Championship game, decides to put off surgery on a hip throughout the offseason, didn't participate in offseason activities, comes to training camp and, and puts and is on the reserve list. And it becomes pretty clear early in the fall that he may not be back, certainly not in the first half of the season. And if not, he's not going to be able to make an impact. Would he be the same receiver? Right. And see, Harvin was also having migraine issues at this point. The Vikings really didn't have any kind of receiving threat for the 40 – soon to be 41 year old Brett Favre to even have options downfield. Uh, was this a panic move to go out and trade for Randy Moss or was it a move of necessity that in retrospect they had to make? Well, I, I'd say the trade for Moss Murph in and of itself was a panic move. And here's why. So th- the Vikings knew going into training camp that rice was that he should have had surgery. He elected not to, And I think the Vikings had a feeling that this might be bad and that he might be set back quite a bit, which indeed proved to be the case. So they started to shop around, especially I'm sure when Favre came back, for a veteran receiver who Favre could work with to take the place of Sidney Rice. And the most important thing is they actually got a deal done. Uh, Vincent Jackson of the San Diego Chargers that season was in a contract dispute and he was holding out from the Chargers. And A.J. Smith, the GM then of the Chargers, and Rick Spielman and the Vikings reached an agreement on a trade, on compensation. Uh, And I believe the Vikings also had reached an agreement on a potential contract with Jackson for him to uh, come here, sign, and then start playing. And if that trade goes through, Moss does not become an option here. And, you know, the, the whole thing with Randy and pull out your 84 jerseys, that press conference never happens. Now, the important thing and where, again, 2010, just at every turn, if you're the Vikings went sideways, was my understanding, Murph, of what happened was at the 11th hour, A.J. Smith basically said, you know what? Screw Vincent Jackson. I'm going to squat on his rights. I'm not going to trade him, not because I don't like the Vikings deal, because I think the agreement was in place, but because I'm not going to be bullied into trading a player who does not want to play for my team. And so my understanding at that point in time was the Vincent Jackson trade was pulled off the table and the Vikings were then, and Spielman especially, uh, was left to scurry for the solution, knowing still that Sidney Rice was not coming back at at, uh, a point soon. And I don't, so what I don't know is, I don't know if Spielman made the call to Belichick and the Patriots, if the Patriots were just, Shopping Moss, who I believe was trying to get a new contract at that time. And the Patriots basically said, you know what? He's played well, but he's declining. We're not going to pay him. Uh, but long story short, 
the Vikings, I believe, next turn was to uh, the Patriots, and that's where the Moss deal, the ball started to roll on that after Jackson became a player that the Chargers were going to trade and then decided they weren't going to trade him. So what happens is the Vikings go in, they, did, they end up beating the Lions at home, imagine that, to stop leading. They go into their early bye at one and two. So during the bye, word leaks out of New, well, it didn't really leak out, it came gushing out of New England. You're right. Randy Moss had been upset that he wasn't getting a contract extension from the Patriots. He ends up having the first of a couple of monumental press conferences that season where he says after a Monday night, I don't know if it was a loss or a win to the Dolphins, but basically said, I don't think they want me here anymore. I'm not sure I want to be here anymore. And that didn't take long for Bill Belichick to realize, you know what? Uh, We're going to biopsy this. We're going to get rid of the cancer and we're going to move on. And lo and behold, they found themselves some huckleberries over in the land of 10,000 desperations. Uh, the Vikings needed a downfield threat. I don't know who reached out to who. I don't know whose ears perked up more, Belichick, at the thought of offloading a disgruntled, declining receiver who made it clear he didn't want to be here, or the Vikings who, hey, if we can't get Vic- Vincent Jackson, hey, we'll get Randy Moss. Not only will it be a great solution to our football problems, but from a marketing standpoint, uh, you can't you can't help but see where that where that's going to lead for the Vikings. Bring back number eighty four. He never should have left. He's going to ride in kind of like Favre did on the plane from Hattiesburg. He's going to come in from Foxborough, and of course that first press conference where again he's all smiles, all giggles. Don't worry about the past. Be thankful I wasn't on that boat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hi, everybody's having a good time. Hey, maybe this is a new Randy, a breath of fresh air, but it didn't take long for things to spiral out of control. So the, the important thing, too, I think, uh, that led to the trade itself and the press conference that you're talking about, Murph, two things. One is, if you recall, a few years before that um, and around the time that Moss went to the Patriots, uh, Favre basically was openly, I believe, politicking in Green Bay at that time for Moss to join the Packers. And the Packers and Ted, you know, Ted being Ted said no. Uh, so he didn't go there. But there was an infatuation at that point, I think, with Favre himself and fans as well about what would a Favre to Moss combo look like. The other thing that I believe unfolded uh, behind the scenes at this point, because keep in mind, Spielman was um, a powerful executive with the Vikings at that point, but this is before he became GM. And Childress, in fact, I believe it was during a conference call, it might have been with uh, Lions reporters in 2010 at some point in time, pointed out that he had control of the roster. So, So Brad basically was de facto GM, and Rick did Brad's work for him. And my understanding behind the scenes around the time that the Moss trade was about to be made was Rick did go to Brad Spielman did and said, I can get Moss. Can you handle him? Which was a very fair question because in retrospect, the answer was absolutely not. Um, but I think the Vikings were panicked. They were struggling. And I think the, the feeling was Brett Favre and Moss would form this, you know, potentially unstoppable duo. And so Brad said, yes, it's not going to be a problem if Moss comes here. So I believe that Brad was given a chance to say, okay, that's (laughs) no, no, no. Uh, But instead said, yes, 
And that then gets us to uh, the presser where, as you said, Moss comes back. And that presser, Murph, sticks with me to this day because of its, I think it might be the most frenetic paced press conference I've ever covered. Uh, Moss was basically controlling it. I believe it was an NFL network reporter started to ask a question and she was just sort of thinking her, her way through her question. Absolutely fair, right? And trying to be thoughtful. Halfway through, Moss basically cuts her off and says, okay, no, not you, now you. It was of Tromponian-like presser sorts, um, just in this bizarre fashion that he, he was going to conduct it. And I'll never forget, the last point that you brought up, to me, is the point at which I said, this is going to be a unmitigated disaster. Moss gets done. And he's still there and he's, you know, to you know, he's yucking it up and it's all fun and games. And Ziggy Wolf was in the back of the press conference in the shed there, the practice shed. And he's watching it and, you know, in typical fashion, he's absolutely thrilled, right? They got Randy Moss back and he's thinking to himself, ticket sales and jersey sales. And Moss's last words, as I recall, into the microphone that day were Y'all lucky I wasn't on that boat. And keep in mind, uh, so Moss was gone by the time that the Love Boat cruise happened. But keep in mind, up until then, that had come in the first year that that the Wilfs owned the team. And it had been among the biggest blemishes and embarrassments. Like, I think the Wilfs thought, we are buying the New York Giants. And instead you get, you know, What's the equivalent at that time in 2005 of the Three Stooges, right? Yeah, a pontoon full of felons. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I'll never forget, I looked back when Randy said that, and Ziggy is laughing uproariously how funny this comment about the boat was. And I thought to myself, you've got nobody in this building that can handle this guy. And, And five years before, you would have traded him for saying that. And that was the first time I thought there's no control here. Like this is you—you you have basically um, put put the train on the tracks, and you have no way to stop it. And not even up to Ziggy or Brad Childress can anybody contain this guy. Well, and it should be noted too in the chronology of all this, as I got—I had gone back and read the clips. It was a couple of weeks later. Before they decided to cut him, before Childers did decide to cut him, there were some reports out of New England and on some of the pregame sh- uh, network pregame shows, I believe Charlie Casserly was the one who broke this, that said the reason, uh, one of the reasons the Patriots got rid of Moss is that he and Tom Brady got into a, a wrestling match, a shoving match that turned into a wrestling match in the Patriots locker room because Brady had challenged him in his work ethic and made some reference to whatever beard that uh, – uh, Moss had at the time said, Hey, why don't you clean yourself up? And this was during the uh, time when Brady had his floppy. Uh, he was just starting to date Giselle, Giselle, I believe, and was getting his uh, mop top his keeping going. And he had his, he had his flop top going. Yeah. So Moss said something back to him along the lines. Why don't you cut your hair? You look like a girl. And then the next thing you know, they're wrestling around on the floor. So a sixth grade argument is what precipitated Moss's exit from New England. So the fact that he comes in all smiling, like, you know what, I'm going to come in here and I'm either going to kick ass or I'm going to burn this place down on the way out. Yeah. Well, he pretty much a little, little match pretty quickly. 
Oh, yeah. And he was... So the and I think that the thing that the Vikings didn't know, and I think the thing that Belichick and the Patriots probably had caught onto was when Moss, when when Randy being Randy skill wise on the field went Murph, it went um, because the guy that we saw here was a shell of the guy that had thrilled fans from what ninety eight to two thousand four. And so the guy that we saw for a month here certainly could still play. I'm not saying he couldn't play, but the baggage was way too much. Like he needed to dial it back a ton. And I think he actually increased it. He increased it. Um, And he increased it in part because he and Favre had zero checks and balances. I I was told that at some point in time um, in the offensive meetings, that Favre and Moss would essentially sit there as the game plan was being discussed or installed or talked about and would just laugh because they thought it was just stupid. And they were probably right, but that's still a problem. Um, and and then he infected Percy. Uh, this was, I think it's safe to say that in the course, Brian, of both our careers, we will never see a player again behind the scenes do as much damage on and off a field or court or ice as Moss did in such a short period of time. In a short period of time. Yeah. One, was, one month. It was a move made 28 days. Yeah. I mean, you know, not to, to belittle rehab, but I mean, there's probably a reason 28 days has a, has an impact uh, as far as people trying to clean themselves up in 28 days, Randy Moss took this franchise on a ride that it, it hasn't really, experience sense in terms of two veteran players and a coach that ended up losing control of those veteran players and ultimately losing his job. Declan, I wanted to ask you, uh, where exactly were you in 2010 and what did it mean to you to hear that Randy Moss was coming back to Minnesota? So in 2010, I, uh, in October of 20, I was a senior in high school. So I I am, I am uh, living out my days and confused dreams Yeah, the glory years. I mean, seriously, my my this was peak. This is peaking in life, right? Everyone says they peak in high school. I did not. However, it's senior year in high school, very formidable memories. And I mean, I had been a Vikings fan. Like my earliest Vikings memory is unfortunately the 2000 season, which was 41 donut. So that's the first season I truly remember just from my youth, which is a great starting point. Right. However, you know, through the years, there's the 04 and the Nate Poole game. But by like. 2007, 2008, and then into 09. Now I'm I'm a high schooler, and I have more fonder memories, and I can I can I can gravitate towards games more. So now I'm now I'm all in on being a Vikings fan, right? Now I'm all in on being tortured for for the foreseeable future. Um, and in 09 was such a fun, magical year. Getting Favre, is he going to come? Is he not going to come here? And then for them to lose in the way they did the NFC Championship game, um, that one probably stung more than obviously 41 donut and even you know, 2017 with Case Keenum, just because of how truly close it was to happening. I mean, they were on the doorstep of going to a Super Bowl. And when they lost, I remember I, I, I was watching at my neighbors and then I walked home and I'd even say a word. My mom asked, I remember she had, did they win? Cause she wasn't watching the game. And I, I, I didn't say a word and I went upstairs, I took a shower and I went to bed. I didn't say a single word to her cause I was so heartbroken over the loss. So to bring it full circle into 2010, obviously I'm all aboard. They're going to run it back. What could go wrong? Seriously, what could go wrong? Even they go zero and two, and I'm still thinking, ah, it's it's zero and two. It's week two of the season. I'm not I'm not worried about this. This should be fine. They get a 
easy, lousy win against the Lions. They're going to the bye. All right, this will be okay. And then I'm getting out of school one day, and I, I can't remember if this was a Friday or not. I feel like it was a Friday because of how exciting it was. But the Twins were about to start game one of the ALDS. And we're in the parking lot. We're actually in the Dunning parking lot. I went to St. Paul Central, so I was, I was in a rec center parking lot, which was right next to my high school where we all parked our cars. And this was the day and age where smartphones weren't totally around yet, but they were slowly getting around. But some friends started like freaking out, going, oh, my God, oh, my God, did you see the news? And, we're all, and I'm thinking, like, what? Like, what, what the hell happened? And they're like, the Vikings got Randy Moss. And I couldn't believe it. And for the next 10, 15 minutes in the parking lot, we're all glued to our phones trying to get on the crappiest of Internet to confirm if Randy Moss is coming back to the Vikings. I mean, this was an insane moment. And for him to finally come here and the excitement that was after, you know, going to the bye with a stronger win and the season's going to get turned around. I was all in. I was all in. I was looking for Randy Moss jerseys. I thought this was going to be the best thing ever. And it turned out to be one of the most disastrous and roller coaster months of my life with, with both the Vikings and the Twins getting swept in the ALDS. It was homecoming time around senior year of high school, so there's a lot of emotions there. I, I, I strongly believe that October of 2010 is still one of the craziest months of my life, and I'm now 28, and it's been 10 years since then. Do you recall how, how, how that story broke? The best part about it is that story broke so so, Bill Simmons got a tip that that trade was going to be made, that Moss was going from the Patriots, his hometown team, basically, to the Vikings, Murph. And um, to Declan's point, it's 2010. So Simmons, who worked at ESPN at the time, trying to be a good employee, was going to tip off Schefter and say, hey, this trade is going down, make some phone calls. But because it's 2010, he tried to, I believe, DM him on Twitter and accidentally tweeted it out to everybody. And then I believe officially the story was broken by Jay Glazer because I was in Brit's pub and I saw a crawl saying Randy Moss. And, and I had in the afternoon, John? I had no clue. <laughs> no, it was like 5 p.m. I recall it being happy hour. I was in Brit's and the crawl. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go home. Um, but yes, but 2010 technology, Simmons thought he was DMing Schefter and accidentally tweeted out for the world to see. So the, the, uh, what was supposed to be a private message to Schefter was basically tweeted out. That's a very 2010 story. Mm-hmm. I would, cause that no probably doesn't it. happen now, right? Like no. now, now the technology is probably sound where you wouldn't accidentally DM and, and uh, put it out for the world on Twitter to find out. No, that story would have been easily backdoored. Schefter would have broken it. It would have been the trickle down as we all usually see, or maybe Glazer as well. Um, but those guys are still, you know, it. the, N- the NFL is a rigged game. Let's put it that way. Uh, news breaks. Which is fine. Yeah. Uh, that's, how it downhill. that's just, <laughs> so, that's just how it works. It's funny. You bring up the timeline, Declan, because in looking this up, you weren't wrong. It was, it wasn't a Friday. You were wrong. It was a Wednesday, I think, when the story broke. His press conference was Thursday. They played Monday night in the Meadowlands. They were off on Wednesday. That's right. Game one was uh, right. It broke on the off day. Game one of the ALDS Twins-Yankees first playoff game at Target Field was Wednesday night. 
Thursday night, they fell down two to nothing, flew to New York, and were vi- basically eliminated Saturday night. That's what it was. Everybody was in town covering that, ended up going over to the Meadowlands on Monday to cover those stories as well. That's why I remember that, too. It was a very compressed time period, but a lot of headlines going on at that point. Um, so, yes, as we mentioned, Moss makes his debut on Monday night. Uh, so much going on, not only in the Twin Cities, but just around the Vikings. Again, Moss is acquired. They have his introdu- reintroductory press conference on Thursday. Get your 84 jerseys out. Twins are, and, and either that day or I believe it was Friday, Deadspin breaks the Brett Favre sexting photos and messages and voicemails to D- Jen Sturger. That is all hanging over the team's head as they go, by the way, to the Meadowlands to play the Jets on Monday night football. Favre throws his 500th career touchdown pass to Randy Moss in the third quarter, starting a comeback that didn't quite make it. Favre ends up getting elbow tendonitis. Moss is in the locker room. I remember approaching him for an interview at about 1.30 in the morning, just saying, hey, Randy, you got, you got a few minutes to talk. And he all of a sudden was like, I ain't talking today. I ain't talking at all. I'm like, really? You're not going to talk? He goes, you got a problem with that? I go, well, I do, but I so do all the fans in Minnesota. He says, I'm not talking. Well, he eventually did talk later after Brett Favre's infamous bowels of Meadowland Stadium tabloid journalism. Why are you sending pictures of your nether regions to Jen Sturger news conference? Randy Moss did eventually open up. However, he did not talk again to the Minnesota media which, of course, leads to another story at the end of the month uh, in, in in Foxborough, another monumental genre-breaking press conference. But until that time, you know, the Vikings eventually beat Dallas at home. They go to Green Bay. They were kind of mistake-prone. They didn't play very well. But Moss isn't a factor much at all. And this is leading up to, on Halloween, the return of Randy Moss to Foxborough, Judd, and what do you remember about that? Well, actually, to go back to um, the games before that too, Murph, you yeah. know, that Cowboys game was supposed to be a huge deal because it's it was Moss's first game at the Metronome uh, after the trade. It was the Cowboys who had, you know, passed up on Moss when uh, Jerry Jones had told him back in 98 that he was going to draft him and so everyone was excited and then you lose the game that you're talking about to the Jets and now it's like you know bubble has been burst and I remember that game against Dallas feeling like before the Jets lost that the uh, build-up to that game was going to be enormous and then it was big but it, it was not as big as we expected and then just quickly do you recall the game in Green Bay so this is where this is where as a player you knew that Moss was a shell of the guy who had been a star here. There was a far pass to the back of the end zone. Uh, I think it was in the second half, but I'm not sure, of that game in Green Bay uh, for Moss, and he alligator-armed it. Yeah, And it's like, dude, you can't afford to do that. Uh, and I think, I think it disappointed Favre, but it more importantly showed Moss could know by that point, in his career, where Belichick and the Patriots had been right, he could no longer get by on his name and that talent. Like, he had to work, and he wasn't going to work, uh, and he certainly was not going to get drilled in the back of, of the end zone on a far pass. And so I remember that play in particular as being the uh-huh, now you know why he got traded moment, which was the Patriots said, 
you don't have the talent to justify the attitude. Um, and then, yes, we, we then get to the, uh, to the last game. So he goes, so he goes back to play the Patriots. And so this is going to be, by this point in time, I feel like the, like the year has, is really slipped away. Like by this point, it felt really, really wrong. Um, it didn't feel, I did not predict the dome collapsing, to be clear. I just felt like the team w- was not going to be nearly as good as we thought. And to Dex's point, this team that we thought couldn't possibly fall apart had basically fallen apart. Um, as I recall the game plan, though, so Belichick didn't care about much except for one thing in that game. Randy Moss was not going to beat him. And I remember the game plan was the Patriots were going to roll safety help to Moss's side at every turn and basically eliminate him. And they did. And I just, that you know, we, we talked about it in uh, the episode about Brett. That's the game where Brett got the cut on the chin and I think had to come out for a brief right. time or a time. Uh, he and, got carted off like he was shot. Oh, <laughs> he was bleeding profusely from his chin and looked like he was going to throw up. But I think the person that ultimately wanted to throw up the most was in Randy's mind. That was going to be the game that he went back to Foxborough and he showed Brady and he showed Belichick and he showed the crafts and Belichick's like, no, you're not going to. And uh, it was that game, that game, as I recall, was just this sort of, um, we had entered, if this is the correct way to put it, Brian, the 2010 death march stage. Like it wasn't off, it wasn't completely off the tracks yet, but that game was just, uh, oh boy, Randy Moss didn't the, do you, anything. You the rock. Yes, exactly coming. right. That's well put. The, the, the eggs were wasting. Know, well, wait, you, you mentioned Moss's work ethic, which yep. came under question in New England. You know, we were lucky enough to have Chad Greenway come on and talk to us for a while about this season in its entirety, which you folks will be able to see Judd and I's interview with him uh, at the back end of this podcast. But he brought up an interesting point, too, which was the very first practice in the Winter Park Fieldhouse. Randy Moss comes out there, and a lot of the guys were like, well, let's take a look at this future Hall of Famer and see him in action. You know, Chad Greenway grew up in South Dakota. You know, he kind of worshipped the Vikings and, and certainly was a fan of Randy Moss. And he could tell from the first few reps, this guy was mailing it in. And that kind of attitude and that sense of with Moss of mailing it in only intensified as the weeks went by. And as you mentioned, too, Belichick obviously had a game plan to prevent him from doing anything, certainly downfield. The Vikings in that game actually played fairly well offensively. They out, outgained and outpossessed New England, but couldn't punch it through. They made a couple of decisions. Uh, uh, Childress decided to go for a touchdown on fourth and goal early in the game as opposed to a field goal or just before the half. And at the end of the game, as legend has it, Randy Moss comes into the, the locker room, sees Mark and Ziggy Wolf standing right there and says, you all got to get yourself another coach because this ain't working. And sure enough, we're all in the locker room again. He hasn't talked publicly since three weeks earlier post game in New York. The, the NFL had fined him, I think, $25,000 for refusing to cooperate with the media. Yep. So we kind of gathered around his locker wondering, all right, what's Randy going to say about his return to Foxborough? He goes, you don't need to talk to me here. I'm going to the podium. So, wow, this is going to be interesting. 
So we get down to the, the podium. Everybody takes a seat. Here comes Randy Moss in a black fitted Boston Red Sox hat, <laughs> the microphone, says, I'm not going to take any questions because you all find me. I'm going to have my own press conference. From now, here I go. from now on. From now on, five I'm going to ask and answer my own questions. A beautiful five-minute monologue yes. in which you would have thought he was giving his induction speech into the Patriots Hall of Fame. Yes. How great the coach Bill Belichick was, how much of a brother Tom Brady was, how much he loved everybody in Foxborough, wished them all well, didn't say anything about the Vikings, anything about his performance, or take a single question and march back off to the bus. And within 24 hours, he was no longer a Minnesota Viking. I'm going to go ahead and say this. I think I said some a couple weeks ago. Look, I got fined $25,000 for not talking to you all. And uh, me personally, I really don't care. But at the same time, I do, ask, I do ask questions. I mean, answer questions throughout the week. Before the league to find me $25,000, I'm not going to answer any more questions for the rest of this year. If it's going to be uh, an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. So from here on out, I'm not answering any more questions for the rest of this season. And uh, enough said of that. Yeah, so he was, and I, I think the story that I've heard from uh, that post game too, was I think it was, was it you and Chip Scoggins? It was Chip Scoggins, someone from the Pioneer Press, uh, and a few people waiting for Moss as he ordinarily did w- when he talked, uh, to talk at his locker or right. or being on guard in case he did talk. And, yeah, Moss, so it, it was the Star Tribune, the Pioneer Press, and probably AP and a couple of national folks were standing there. And Mo- Moss starts to put his jeans on and said, y'all don't need to watch a grown man get dressed. I'm right. going to the podium and I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Jeff Anderson from the Vikings PR department said he just shook his head and said, oh, my God, because they knew this was going to be a disaster like they knew. And uh, Moss then comes through the door. And I remember, I think uh, Childers had talked and I want to say Favre had talked. And so at that point in time, those of us who were in the main press conference room for the Vikings that day, we're going to go back into the uh locker room to talk to players who were still stragglers. And I remember it was a side door, small room. And I think it was a long room, but, but small. And Moss comes uh, shuffling in with a purpose. And I just thought to myself, okay, now, now it's on. Uh, Cause there's no way that this guy of all people was going to give a, a podium presser a- after a bad game for him. Uh, and then, you, you are right. He announced that he had been fined. He announced that from now on, if he talked, it was going to be Randy asking the questions and answering his own questions. And then he gave a Patriot soliloquy of everyone here was the greatest. Um, but to back up, too. So the, that week had been the week of the caterer. Uh, on Friday, right where where I Moss was going to get into that too. Yes, right. So so they got done with practice, and every Friday at that time, uh, the players had picked a local catering service to deliver food to the locker room. Uh, and at this point in time, it was Tanucci's, correct? Tanucci's. Yes. So Tanucci's, which is very good food. So they get done with practice, which I believe was an outdoor practice. They get into the locker room and before right before 
were allowed access. Uh, Moss walks in. I don't know if he tried the food. I think he just looked at the food, and that was the line. I wouldn't feed this to my dogs, uh, and he basically mf'd the food and the caterers. I think. Yeah. So what it was, you know, this is so this is Friday, October 29th. As you said, every Friday a local caterer would bring in food for the guys to eat uh, after their final practice. Um, this was Tanucci's, which is a well-known uh, barbecue place. I think out of Newport, maybe even St. Paul. Fantastic. It should be noted too, that one of the Tanucci's at that time in 2010 was the press secretary for then governor elect Mark Dayton, Catherine Tanucci. Okay. Katie Tanucci, who's well-known in political circles. Huh. So she's the incoming press secretary for the governor. The, Governor and the legislature, you are lobbying to get a new stadium deal for. I don't remember this part. Your malcontent, <laughs> your malcontent receiver comes in on Friday, takes one look at the free spread, by the way, yeah. at a guy with a white hat, a carving station for uh, uh, brisket or roast beef, barbecue chicken wings, uh, rice, potatoes, salad, all the fixings. Yeah. He took one look at it and he goes, I wouldn't feed this bleep to my dog and wanders off into the showers. Poor guy standing there with a knife in his hand. This story, of course, eventually leaks out after Randy was cut. I think shooter Charlie Walters might have had it, but it eventually came out that following week. And it's like, is there anything this guy didn't try to do to get fired? I didn't think about that stadium tie-in. That's a great one, Murph. Well, the timing of it, too. I didn't know that. You get a deal done. and Oh, that's great players pissing on the free buffet well and you know those caterers were really really and they should have been proud people like this was a thrill like you're in you're in the locker room catering food to a professional football team and that that was an honor it was really cool and so for this guy to come in and basically you know call it bleep when that was completely untrue um, was embarrassing. I, I think a lot of players were just embarrassed and, and apologized. They were. Um, they were. I, it, a couple of the stories said a couple of anonymous guys told them to shut up and sit down. Yeah. A couple went over to apologize to the caterer and say, hey, you know, we appreciate everything here. Don't worry about him. He's just Randy. Being so Randy that happens on Friday. The yes. press conference happens on Sunday. Monday night after it was a four o'clock game. They fly home. And then? And then we get Monday, so everybody's coming back Monday. Brad Childress has his, I don't know, noon or 1 o'clock availability, and things are tense. Everybody knows it's tense. And he must have answered 10 or 12 questions about Moss, about his press conference, about what he meant by that. And to Bob Sansevier's credit, Pioneer Press columnist, yes, very end, he questioned Brad because some of the tone, I think Brad had mentioned Moss in past tense. Yep. So Bob goes, did you just cut him? And uh, Childers said, no, he's, I don't, I think he said, no, he stayed back in New England to hang out with family, which was a, which was a sidestep. That's what it was. Yes, you're right. But he had already made the decision and had already cut him. And not only that, when the locker room opened in a half hour, the players knew that he was cut and poor Ben Lieber. I always remember Ben Lieber and Jamarcus Sanford, the only two guys that wandered into the room that day. All of a sudden, the the Moss news is broken nationally. Childress has already had his availability, basically sidestepped every Moss question he could have, 
but we can't ask him now that the news has been confirmed. So we have to ask Ben Lieber and Jamarcus Sanford, hey, how about Randy Moss getting cut? Again, another communication and credibility gap to which Childress really never recovered. Uh, and oh, no. set off another chain of events. It comes to find out Childress didn't notify ownership. He didn't notify Rick Spielman. He barely notified the team. He didn't notify the public, or he certainly wasn't truthful with the public when he could have been. Yep. He did everything his way, and then it became a two- or three-day story as opposed to a one-day story. So Brad did his press conference, and yeah, you're you're right. Bob had asked, did you cut him? And Brad said no. So then the timeline is we, we go back to our uh, media room, which was across the street at the time in Eden Prairie. Yeah. And the locker room access started, like, I think approximately um, half hour or so after Brad had talked. So right. we're, we're cooling our jets in the media room. And as I recall, NFL Network, I think, was the first report that, indeed, that they had gotten a tip that Moss had been waived or let go by the Vikings. And so now we're all like, okay, because you could sort of, you knew something was weird. I didn't know that. Um, and so now it's out, at least from a credible report, that Moss has been let go. And then to your point, we go back across the street to the locker room at uh, Winter Park. And I remember Bennett was distributing, I want to say, Players Association flyers onto the stools for for the next practice day, which was going to be on Wednesday. And we pulled him aside and just basically said, you got to tell us. Did Moss get cut? And he said, yes, he did. Brad told us. Uh, in fact, and Brad had met with the players before he had met with us. So I believe that he has said he cut him, told the players he's gone, uh, told the players don't say a word, lied to us. And then I've been told in in hindsight or in retrospect, I should say, Murph, after that, that Brad was furious that Lieber didn't cover for him. And I don't know if Brad thought he was going to call the Wilfs and try and explain this. Like you've got, you can't reobtain Randy Moss and cut him and not be in trouble. Uh, but that Ben actually got chewed out then because Childress was furious that Ben had confirmed basically that Brad was lying. The the other thing though that's important is it's been it was reported I think I think but it's been speculated on quite a bit that. The meltdown in the Winter Park locker room about the catering got Moss cut. Brad didn't get Brad didn't care one bit. What got him cut was what you said, which is being I think he and Fahutahi in Foxborough were the first two players after the Patriots lost into the locker room. And he looked and when he looked at the Wilfs and just as importantly, the Wilfs friends, because the Wilfs take great pride in bringing their friends post game win or lose yeah. into the uh, locker room when he looked at them and said, y'all better get yourself a new bleeping coach. Cause this guy don't know what he's bleeping doing. That's when that got back to Brad, that's when Brad decided I'm going to cut him. So the catering thing while, while despicable was not what got Moss jettisoned. What got him cut was basically embarrassing Childress to the owners. And what, what I think undercut Childress so many times was, his control freak mentality, which was, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to handle it in my way. I'm going to try to contain it. And in doing so, 
he created four or five other problems, which was he lost credibility with the media, which isn't a huge deal generally, but he had also done this back in August when they flew the three guys down to Mississippi to fetch Moss when Hutchinson and Jared Allen and Ryan Longwell were gone. And he sent his assistant coaches out to the podium to essentially lie, deflect, obfuscate. And we didn't have, you know, we weren't going to have that. We pinned him down like it was a Watergate press conference. You know, what did the president know and when did he know it? And it became obvious these three guys, which the whole world already knew because of national leaks, that they were on a plane coming back from Hattiesburg. But instead of being a leader, he sends his underlings out to do the dirty work and they either fumble it or they don't want to do it and they're not going to carry his water, which Ben Lieber wasn't going to do because he was a stand-up guy. Mm -hmm. So he loses credibility with the media. He loses credibility with the public. He loses credibility with his players. He loses credibility with his ownership because he decided not to tell them about this unilateral decision. They may want to know before finding it out publicly. And you could tell from that day on, Brad Childers was a dead man walking. Unless they were somehow to rip off 10 straight wins, which wasn't going to happen, Brad Childers' days were numbered. And what we're going to pivot now into the the children's watch. Moss was here for 28 days. Brad barely made it 20 more days beyond that Moss cutting uh, before his demise came the day after a 31 to three loss, I guess, at the Metrodome. Um, I'm looking here. They, they, so they ended up beating, bear with me here. They ended up beating Zona in overtime at home. Yes. Then went to Chicago and lost 27, 13, on November 14th. So now you're into week 11. Yep. They are three and six with the home game against the Green Bay Packers. Yep. There was a sense that he was coaching for his job, and their performance that day was probably the worst of the season in terms of they weren't in the game. The crowd was surly. Childress was clearly losing his grip, and I distinctly remember Ray Edwards and Chris Cook getting into a fight on the sidelines after some play that was made or some play Chris Cook didn't make, which was par for the course for him back. Secondary. <laughs> that was the story of Chris Cook. Yes. And they were chanting fire Childress at the Metrodome. I mean, I'm surprised he made it to the podium post game on Sunday, but by Monday morning, the inevitable happened and Brad Childress was no longer the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. When I got drafted by Minnesota and I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, I felt obligated to try to bring a Super Bowl. Uh, to Minnesota, and you know this this season's still not over. Um, do I know what next season and the future is going to bring? No, I do not. But all I can say is, man, it's it's a lot of work that we leave on the field each day. Uh, it's a lot of film study that we leave in that room each day. I know how hard these guys work here in New England, and the only thing that I really tried to do is take what the best coach in football history has has brought upon me or the knowledge that he's given me about the game of football. And I tried to just sprinkle it off, you know, to the guys the best way I know how. Um, so, you know, I'm going to go ahead and end this, this interview. You know, I have my family to see. Um, definitely down that we lost this game because I didn't really expect for us to lose this game, knowing that, you know, we had a few things that we had to clean up. But like I said, they played a good game. I wish we could have had that three at the end of the half. Uh, maybe it could have been different, maybe not. But, you know, with – I don't know how many more times I'm going to be up here in New England, but I'm going to leave the New England Patriots, Coach Belichick, man, with a salute, man. I love you guys. I miss you. I'm out. Randy Moss, though, man. That, what a 28 days. 
What a 28 days that that was. That was, uh, again, I will flat out say this. You will never see a more destructive path of an athlete in such a short time as what Moss did. And the last thing, too, is, and Chad uh, touches on on this as well, uh, don't discount the impact in a negative fashion that he had on Percy Harvin, who had come here a marvelous talent, a little bit troubled. I mean, he was not perfect, uh, but a huge talent, huge upside had fallen to what, because of character concerns, the 22nd pick, I believe, in the 2009 draft, where he proved to be an absolute steal, uh, at least Murph, for his rookie season. And Moss, or I'm sorry, Harvin worshipped the ground on which Moss walked, and Randy could do no, no wrong. And I want to say that it was so bad that when Moss got let go, not only did Harvin get more and more distraught and PO'd, but he actually went to Moss's apartment and helped him move out. Like that's how tight. So, so Moss, you know, created a ton of destruction. The talent was gone, but very importantly too, he also helped probably expedite the departure of a guy who, you know, ideally is here for what? Five, six years playing well in Percy. I really think that that, as far as Percy goes, Brian, that was the first domino to fall uh, in in his fairly quickly after that decline and then ouster as a Viking. Yeah, the poison seeped in pretty deep after that. Really bad. Um, I'll just ask both of you, and then we can cut this topic off. Um, Judd in particular, but I'd be curious, Declan, what you have to say about this too. Now, we're 10 years removed from this, obviously. Randy Moss's legacy uh, as a Minnesota Viking. How much, what percentage does 2010 play into that? And the farther away we get from it, I mean, he he has to own some of his behavior. No question about that. Of course. But it's the impact that he had on this market from 98 to 2004. Does any of that get diminished because of the failed experiment of 2010? In my opinion, absolutely not. Because when when he got here, he helped change, I think, how the sport operates as far as offensively, as far as the passing game. Um, he took the Viking. So so the last regular season home game in 1997 at the Metrodome, Brian, was against the Colts. It was and will be the last game to be blacked out in this market. Uh, M- Moss's arrival to me, and I think I'm right here, created a new Viking fan. It became uh, a younger, hipper Drunker crowd, uh, but the Vikings, Moss single-handedly, I think, made the Vikings fashionable. And that fan base now is aging, so it's not young now. But, you know, basically, oh, absolutely. But I really think that the fan base that was the hardcore Viking fan through 97 was still largely or at least partially the Met Stadium old school crowd and the Vikings games were sort of a I remember them by that point being sort of just drab. I I mean they were sold out for the most part and they did fine, but they weren't this hip, high flying, high wire act that they became with Moss. Uh two thousand if so if Randy had come in and had been and was the primary story. So if everything else was clicking and Randy came in and submarine 2010, I think that's a discussion. 
but it was so it, it was going so bad and to what we talked about here he lasted 28 days so i really think it's unfair in the big picture to hold to hold moss too accountable for a really really bad one month stretch uh when from 98 to 2004 and i'm not saying that this guy didn't have his faults cuz he did i mean i play when i want to play his quote to sid is him like that was 100 there's no bs there to his last day randy decided how he was going to play and when but that being said his first stint with the vikings he was such a marvelous talent and personally to this day i still don't really like him but i'll i'll say this for him it is an absolute crime that 84 is not retired you can't change the game the game not the vikings as much as moss did and not have your jersey number retired. So I do not, while it's fun to talk about, and while it was certainly a 28-day disaster as far as football goes, um, I don't, Dex, hold a lot against him because I take into account his first stint, which had so much brilliance here. Yeah, I, I don't hold, it doesn't affect his legacy of what he did in his first tenure with the Vikings. I think it's a part of his legacy, and it's obviously a part of the part of the equation and part of the hilarious just month of disaster that we can talk about with it, but I don't think it affects what he did from 98 to 04. And then even what he did with the Patriots to um, after, after he left, I think he like Judd kind of hit it all in the head there. He changed the entire wide receiver position. You know, it, do you want to make a case that Jerry Rice is the greatest wide receiver of all time? Sure. Do you want to make a case someone else is? Absolutely. But in terms of the impact of changing a position and changing the game, I, I don't know if we can ever see a player who's going to be able to do that again. You know, like Justin Jefferson's off of this great start for the Vikings, and he's been a phenomenal rookie, and he might break records, but he did it. He's not changing the position. Like he's just he's a freak athlete, and he's really really good at football. Randy Moss changed the complete complexion of how to play wide receiver in the NFL. Um, and in terms of the impact, you know, I would always say that in terms of my lifetime, because I was born in '92, the two guys, if you were talking about who would be like on a Mount Rushmore of the most impactful athletes from my generation, I think it's Moss and Kevin Garnett. And then the remaining two that you put on that Mount Rushmore is completely up to interpretation and, and, and whoever you want to put on there. But Moss and KG for those formidable years from my youth, I mean, just in terms of impact and tenacity and the way fans galvanize towards them, it, it's, it's not even close. No one else holds a candle. Well, if you want to talk about his lasting impact, too, um, you only have to have a conversation with my ten, soon-to-be 10-year-old son, Ethan, who never saw Randy Moss play, has heard about Randy Moss. Uh, but I heard him about a week or two ago singing this jingle that he had gotten off of YouTube, pull your 84 jerseys back out. Yeah. I'm like, where did you hear that from? He showed me the video, and there's this four-minute video of, of Randy Moss highlights, but it start, I, I think it's called One Clap or whatever, yeah. but it starts off, yes. the very first line in that is pull your 84 jerseys out. My son knows the impact of Randy Moss. He hasn't seen him play. He may not even liked him. He may lo- may have loved him, but he knows who Randy Moss is because of that. And I think that speaks as much as anything to the impact that he had both as a receiver uh, and as a superstar, but also as a major pro athlete and celebrity in this market that, you know, 22 years after he made his debut, uh, a kid that never saw him play can hum his jersey number. Ethan found the good from 2010. Congratulations, Ethan. You found the, you know what? I never thought of, of that, but if Moss d- does not get traded back here, 
that doesn't become the lead to the jingle, right? So, that that, that so does not become a meme. That, that so your son, your son, found, your see, your son found found the positive to 2010 Moss's return. Well, that's a great way to end it on this note. Uh, we'll go back. We have one more episode to tackle. We'll talk more about Brad Childress's demise, how that set up Leslie Frazier for a job he wanted all his life, but couldn't imagine the challenges that lay ahead, specifically with Old Man Winter, a decrepit Metrodome. A game in De- another game in Detroit and four days in Philadelphia that nobody wanted to be there for. So uh, for Judd Zalgad and Declan Goff, this is Brian Murphy. Tune in next time to Tales from 2010, a Viking season like no other.